Hello and welcome to the first in a new series from Fidelity International, where we tap the brains of our in-house analysts to learn what their research is telling them about the industries and businesses you're investing in. I'm Richard Edgar, Editor-in-Chief, and what you can hear in the background is one of the world's busiest ports. I'm in Hong Kong, where 20 million shipping containers pass through these docks at Kuai Ching Port every year. In fact, three of the world's busiest ports are within 100 miles of this spot, strung along the Pearl River Delta. There are endless rows of metal shipping containers stacked six high, and it's a constantly shifting panorama as they're loaded and unloaded from the thousand-foot ships which sidle up to the dockside. The sky is crisscrossed by giant blue cranes astride the quay. China is the world's manufacturer, and this is how what they make reaches customers many thousands of miles away. In fact, 90% of all goods made anywhere travel at some stage in container ships, and their voyages on the world's oceans keep the global economy running. But shipping is a big polluter. Just 15 of the biggest ships pump out more sulphur dioxide and nitrogen oxides than all of the world's cars combined. An extraordinary fact. And that hasn't gone unnoticed. The UN's International Maritime Organization is rolling out new laws that will see ships forced to cut their emissions dramatically. So what does this mean for the industry? What will it cost? Who will pay? Who benefits? And what are the consequences no one's yet thought of? Well, our analysts have thought of some. Listen on to find out more. With me in the studio are Jonathan Neve, Senior Credit Analyst uh, covering shipping here at Fidelity, and Paul Gooden, Senior North America Energy Analyst in Equities. Welcome to you both. Uh, now, Jonathan, I'm going to come to you first of all, if I may. Um, some of those numbers I mentioned at the, the start are jaw-dropping. Uh, the pollution that shipping generates is, is breathtaking in many ways. Um, can you start, first of all, by um, explaining the context and, and what the shipping uh, industry's meta-regulator, the uh, International Maritime Organization, is planning to do about it? Sure. So the context is that the shipping sector uh, accounts for just 7% of oil demand from the transport industry, but generates approximately 90% of the sector's sulfur dioxide emissions. Incredibly outsized, that contribution to the, uh, the emissions, the belching out of, uh, of bad stuff into the air. That's right. So the, when sulfur dioxide gets into the air, it can combine with the moisture in the air um, to form sulfuric acid, which will come down as acid rain, which can impact plant life, it can cause deforestation, it leads to corrosion of building materials, this kind of thing. And also, it's proven to have a detrimental impact on on health. It's bad stuff. What's the IMO suggesting happens? At the moment, um, the IMO has imposed a limit on sulfur content of fuel of 3.5%. From the 1st of January 2020, they will reduce this limit to 0.5%. So that's a, a really big drop. Is it going to be adhered to internationally because yes it's the IMO the International Maritime Organization but are some of the countries like um, China just to pluck one um, at random that hasn't had a brilliant reputation around um, pollution um, are they on board? Uh, They are on board yes and I'm expecting enforcement levels to be relatively high so I believe now that it will be up to the ports port states to enforce these rules so ships that are um, not complying with the rules, you know, won't be able to dock at ports. And also, there's a, a question mark over whether their insurance 
of their ships will hold if they're not complying with the regulations. So I think that enforcement levels will be high. Okay, Paul, why do ships use this fuel that is so horrifically polluting? It really is a bit of a dirty secret that when you get a barrel of oil, it has to go through a refinery and... The refinery produces a bunch of stuff that we consumers can use. So it could be gasoline or petrol, as we call it in Europe. It could be diesel. And then there are some products that no one really wants. So high sulfur fuel oil, um, HSFO as it's called, is one of these products that comes out of a refinery that no one really wants. So and it's sludgy, it's dirty, it's, sludgy, it's sour. It's, it's, it's nasty. So on the list of unwanted things, it's kind of there with asphalt as well, comes out of a refinery and, and goes on roads. So it's a product that no one really wants. Which it's, makes it cheap. It's so cheap, in fact, that if you took a barrel of oil and could theoretically convert it into a barrel of high sulfur fuel oil, you know, it's, you'd lose money. It's got a negative profit margin, so it's it's very undesirable. And as a result, it's used in places that no one's going to complain about it. So the other sort of arresting stat out there is that in petrol, the sulphur content is 20 parts per million. In this high sulphur fuel or marine oil, it's 35,000 parts per million. So it's nasty, it's horrible, and at the moment it's used in the middle of the Pacific and the Atlantic, where no one's going to complain. So it is being regulated now. Um, How are the shipping companies going to have to adapt to this? So uh, I I presume a much lower level of of sulphur in the uh, the fuel. Um, Are they going to use uh, a different fuel or change the ships in the same way that for cars, when unleaded fuel was brought in, the engines changed? Just to put some numbers around this, I mean, the marine industry uses around 3 million barrels a day of high sulfur fuel oil. So there are a number of choices. The easiest one is they could cheat, i.e. they could completely ignore the rules and, and continue burning this high sulfur fuel oil, but then they're at risk of, of sanction and fines. I think what most of them will do is just switch to diesel, which is a lower sulfur fuel. Um, the other choice that they could have is to install a scrubber on the vessel that basically takes the nasties out of this high sulfur fuel oil. The issue is, is that... Once it's been burnt, it's, it's, it's taking the exhaust, is that right? Yes, I believe it is after the... Uh, once it's burned. And, and I mean, that, that's a very imperfect solution as well, because often what tends to happen is the sulfur just gets dropped in the ocean. Um, so it's not a complete solution to the problem. It just kind of means you can tick the box and say, we're compliant with the rules. So just to um, reiterate then, you've taken it out of the exhaust fume, so it's not going up into the sky, as um, Jonathan was warning about um, uh, acid rain, but but you're bypassing that step and just putting it straight back into the ocean, where presumably a whole load of um, sulphur doesn't really help things. Yeah, I mean, there are different types of technology. So you can have closed loop and open loop scrubbing. So it depends what kind of kit you've got on the vessel. But I think think the reality is, is that most ship owners... You know, don't want to spend the capex ideally, and so you know there are question marks at the moment in terms of the exact timing. Are there going to be waivers for some um, countries, some ship owners? And I think all this uncertainty is sort of leading a number of ship owners to kind of hold back and say, "Well, look, you know, let's wait until we get there." No, no point investing in a particular type of scrubber now if we don't know whether that's that rule is still going to hold in a couple of years hence. C- correct. Yeah, and and. I think what a lot of people are doing is they're looking at the cost. So 
what is the cost of buying the more expensive diesel versus spending many millions of dollars on a scrubber on the vessel. I think at the the moment we're in a situation whereby, you know, yes, there is some investment being announced, but lots of people kind of holding back as well. And and Jonathan, um, what are you seeing in terms of the behaviour of the, uh, the shipping companies? So, so I agree with Paul. So I think the vast majority of shipping companies so far have um, indicated that they will go down the route of burning low sulfur fuel for, for exactly the reasons that, that, that Paul mentioned. You know, there's, there's a big upfront capex cost for installing a scrubber. What's perhaps the most interesting aspect of the scrubber is actually if you do install a scrubber, the economics of doing so can actually be quite compelling in terms of the cost. So, for example, if I look at a company that I cover called CMA CGM, so they, they burn just over 8 million tonnes of fuel per year, which is about 16,000 tonnes per year. And if you multiply that by the, the price differential between high and low sulfur fuel, uh, it comes to about $4 million, which is you know roughly the average cost of a scrubber. So installing a scrubber can actually have a very, very short payback period on your investment if you are to go down that route. Um, I think the reasons that Paul mentioned why companies are perhaps a little bit more resistant to do that um, are, are definitely valid, but there's... Um, my view is that certainly for the first movers in, the, in adopting scrubbers, there could be um, quite nice returns to be made. Either way, there's going to be more cost for the shipping companies. Either they're going to be paying more for more expensive fuel or they're going to have to um, uh, pay out in, in, in terms of, uh, of capex. This sort of thing rarely stops with the company that's investing. It gets passed on somewhere, ultimately, to people like you and me. Yeah, so I've seen estimates of costs in the region of 40 to 60 billion dollars per year for the shipping companies of complying with these new regulations. So you're absolutely right, the cost is... 40 to 60 billion. That's right. So it's an enormous amount. When you consider the operating margins of shipping companies are already very low, the fuel costs are around 15% of their operating costs. So if you're increasing those costs by 50%, then that's clearly going to mean that the shipping company's profitability is no longer sustainable, right? So, But if it's happening to the industry as a whole, then presumably yep. they can all put exactly. their prices up. So the, what, will, what shipping companies will try to do is to pass on the additional costs in full to their customers, in which case there will be no impact on margins. History suggests that it's very difficult for them to do that. So... I wouldn't expect that to be a full pass-through, but you know, there has to be a substantial pass-through, otherwise the shipping companies are not going to be making any money and therefore not going to provide the service. All goes underwater, which I, <laughs> I won't make any more um, uh, references like that, sorry. Um, Paul, if they do, if these shipping companies do all switch to, um, to diesel and it's a, uh, you know, quite a significant proportion of the market, um, what impact would that have on the price of, of diesel? The marine industry uses around 3 million barrels a day of high sulfur fuel. My guesstimate is that of that, about 2 million barrels a day switches to diesel. The rest will be a combination of non-compliance, scrubbers, or you can do some mixing with very low sulfur fuel to get compliant fuel. So about 2 million barrels a day of incremental diesel demand. Now, to put that into perspective, the global diesel market at the moment is around a 28 million barrel a day market. So a 2 million uplift is quite meaningful. It represents Mm. around five years of underlying growth coming all at once. Now, we have these things called forward curves. And so what you can do is you can look at the forward curve of the so-called diesel crack. And the crack just means the margin to be made um, if you convert a barrel of oil into a barrel of, of product. 
And if you look at the forward curves, it suggests that there's going to be around a $5 per barrel uplift in the diesel crack. So roughly from around $20 a barrel to around $25 a barrel. So that's really, again, quite a significant... It's, it's uh, quite increase. meaningful. And there's, there's a flip side of this as well, because you've also got a high sulphur fuel crack as well. And if you look at the forward curve there, um, it shows the, the cost of a barrel of high sulphur fuel oil falling by around $5 a barrel. Okay, well, we'll come to that in a, in a minute. Um, but just, um, t- again, to give me a little bit of context around the impact on uh, other industries, is it fair to say that given all the, I mentioned um, diesel cars at the um, uh, at the top of this uh, podcast, but um, is it fair to say that at a time when demand is, from them might be falling, this is one way that um, diesel prices could be kept higher? Yeah, I mean, this this should result in higher diesel prices there is a debate around for how long will they stay high because you know the 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 old saying goes that you know the cure for high prices is high prices And, and what tends to happen over time is that when pricing signals are there market participants respond to those pricing increases so um, if the diesel price stays high for a long time, you're going to see more shippers install scrubbers. You'll see, you know, some commercial you know, land transportation might shift to other forms. You know, might 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 shift to petrol, for example. Um, but yeah, it should result in higher diesel costs. Mm, interesting. Okay, and presumably there are going to be some winners um, in in all of this. It's not just the, um, uh, the, the the scrubber makers. I'd love to have that on my business card. But um, the refineries who are adapting to the different um, needs. So um, how are companies positioned for for this change that's coming down? You know, r- refiners live in a world of very small margins. You know, you buy the crude, you put it through what's essentially a very complex uh, teapot. And you end up with different types of products coming out of it. Could be gasoline, diesel, high sulfur fuel, asphalt, whatever. And so I kind of regard this new regulation as kind of lobbing a great big brick in the pond, as it were. And there are going to be winners and losers on the um, on the, refin- the refinery side of things. So if you're a very simple refiner, um, without much complexity in your refinery, you might produce quite a lot of high sulfur fuel oil. And you're stuck. You can't adapt. It takes a long time to react um, because you have to spend money on capex. You might have to install expensive capital equipment, and at the moment, you know companies don't want to do that. So, if you're a simple refiner and out of your product stream you produce quite a lot of high sulfur fuel oil, you're going to be a net loser. But then you've got some complex refiners with all the bells and whistles in the refineries, and they can basically take any type of crude and convert it into any type of product. And typically, those refineries um, are in the U.S. And so, if you're a complex refiner on the Gulf Coast in the U.S., what you can actually do is you can buy the discounted high sulfur fuel oil, substitute that for some heavy crude you were getting from maybe from Canada, put it through your complex refinery, and turn it into diesel that you can then get a much higher price for. So, for example, the most exposed refiner in the U.S. is a company called Valero. Consensus forecasts around six billion of EBITDA for them this year. I calculate that the IMO benefit for them in 2020 is around four billion. So another two thirds uh, on on top. Now, it sounds like quite a big shift for, for both of these industries, the, the, the shipping and um, the, uh, the oil companies that are um, supplying them. But when you have any form of big 
change to a, a, a pattern, um, a model that has worked for decades, you get unintended consequences. So can I ask you both to perhaps cast your minds forward to think what might be the unintended consequences of this sort of change? So one unexpected consequence is that, you know, where's this high sulfur fuel all going to go? It's not just going to disappear, certainly not overnight. It's too cheap. Too cheap. And what you will see happen is it will become cheap enough that it can compete in the power gen market. I, if you've got a big power generator complex, instead of putting coal or natural gas into that, or indeed oil, you'll say, this high sulfur fuel is really cheap. You know what, I'm going to burn that instead. And so, for example, in the Middle East, in Saudi in particular, I believe they're making investments so that they can retask their power gen industry so it can burn high sulfur fuel oil. The net result is going to be that all the high sulfur emissions that were in the middle of the Pacific and the Atlantic and no one cared about are now going to be over land and over populated areas. And then perhaps there would be some regulation in 10 to 15 years' time which would uh, start to look at that again. But um, it's the oil equivalent of whack-a-mole. We might edit that out. Um, but, it's uh... exactly that. It, 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 it's exactly that. But, but, but for the power gen industry, that is not a globally regulated industry. And so if you know, a Middle Eastern government wants to burn a particular type of fuel, there's no one there to tell them they can't do it. Interesting. Okay. And um, Jonathan, what about you? Um, any, anything that you can think of where this might start to distort things in future? From my perspective, I think the impact is just going to be felt um, with the end consumer. So we're just going to see um, higher prices as a result of this. Some people have suggested that this could result in a global economic recession because you could, you, you know, everything needs to get transported globally. Everything we consume gets transported. So, you know, if diesel prices go from 20 to $25 a barrel in, in terms of the crack, that's higher diesel prices. There's an argument that says also what the refiners will then do is they'll then go max distillate, which means they'll try and produce as much diesel as they can do. So that means there's going to be less gasoline. So you could see the gasoline prices go up as well. So some people suggest that this could result in Higher oil prices, higher diesel prices, higher petrol prices, and low start to grind much slower than they were before. Yeah, how likely is that in your estimation? Well, I think it's I think it's unlikely as a standalone event to result in a global economic downturn, but in an environment where you know the Fed is tightening and where we've got plenty of other things creating instability. Exactly, this sort of well-intentioned environmental decision, you know could result in high, you know, will result in higher interest rates, higher inflation. You sound slightly sceptical, if you don't mind me saying. What would you suggest as an alternative um, approach, if, if not directly this? Well, uh, President Trump, for example, has indicated just last week that he would like a phased rollout of these regulations. And I think that's unlikely, because as soon as you indicate there's some kind of a phased rollout, then companies won't make the investments. Um, but you know, if there was a phased rollout over three or four years, then you know you're not going to see such significant moves in diesel prices, gasoline prices. Well, that that really is quite um, sobering to think about the, uh, the the broader economic impact. I always like to, uh, as we get towards the end of this podcast, to think of something positive. Are there any positive surprises, Jonathan? Well, certainly for the 
shipping sector itself, I think there could be a, a medium-term positive um, outcome here. So first of all, there's, there's a reasonably good chance that these new regulations force some older, less fuel-efficient ships um, to be scrapped because they'll be no longer economically viable in terms of the returns that they'll make. So that, over the medium term, should lead to a higher level of scrapping in the industry, which should help with the supply and demand balance of available capacity, which should support freight rates uh, in the medium term. It's also likely that what ships, shipping companies tend to do when fuel prices rise is they reduce the speed of their ships because that makes them more fuel efficient. It's what we call slow steaming. So this not only helps with fuel efficiency, but it also increases the, the journey time that it takes the ships to go from port to port. So they're occupied for longer, again, right. which has, a, has a, a decreasing effect on available capacity, which again should support um, freight rates. So for the shipping sector, although I'm expecting... You know, higher fuel cost in, in the near term impact margins over the medium term it should help support freight rates which has been one of the problems that the industry has faced so not just a major upheaval for the two industries that we've focused on but for every consumer in the world with the risk of perhaps triggering a recession let's uh, let's hope it doesn't uh, well uh, thank you both very much indeed for for joining me jonathan neve uh, senior credit analyst and paul gooden senior north america energy analyst and thank you for listening for now though from the fidelity studios in london goodbye This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.